And let's pray. Father, we need your spirit to know you and to put our faith in you. And so we pray that as we reflect on Abraham and his faith, so you would teach us what it is to trust in you and to be able to do that ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about faith. Where will you, where do you put your faith? Who or what do you give your allegiance to? Who or what do you put your trust in, your hope in? These are fundamental questions for life. For many people these days, God is dead, which is to say that those people find it impossible to trust in God. To place their deepest hopes in him. And so they are left either to trust in themselves, in their own wits, beauty, strength and money. Or to trust in humanity generally. That we will somehow together eventually do the right thing and make it through to the end. Or to trust in some higher principle or entity that might be somewhat kind of mystical and unknown. You know, the... The idea that the universe is somehow looking after me or us. Or maybe there's nothing, nothing to trust in, nothing to place your faith and hope in. Life, in Shakespeare's words, is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Where you place your faith, where you put your hopes, shapes your life. It shapes your priorities, it shapes your Ethics, it shapes your choices and decisions and actions and reactions. In today's passage in Romans, we learn that trusting God, placing our faith and our hope in his promises, is what brings our relationship with God alive. It's what lies at the foundation of a right relationship to God. It's what opens the door through which God's blessings flow into our lives. So today I want to look at faith. Firstly, Abraham's faith, and secondly, our faith. Let's begin with Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith in God and his promise brought his relationship with God alive. And you may like to have that passage from Romans 4 that Liddy read open, because we're going to Try and tackle the whole thing. Let's step briskly through it. Firstly, Paul has uh, set forth a gospel, a, uh, a piece of good news uh, from God. And let me just read from last week's passage. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now we can think about righteousness, the righteousness of God or the righteousness from God as right standing with God, that you are at peace with God, that you are all square with him, that you have a living relationship of acceptance and blessing. This righteousness, this living relationship is a gift given to all who believe in Jesus Christ, all who place their faith in him. As our passage printed starts, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here is the gospel Paul has set forth. Paul goes on to say that this further dismantles any Jewish boasting that might be a temptation to Jews to think that they had won up on the Gentiles. And so, verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law or the principle that requires works? No, because of the law or the principle that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. That is, morality and religious observance, the works of the law, do not justify. They do not unlock this living relationship of peace and acceptance with God. They do not make righteous. They do not, as I say, make us acceptable to God or bring us into fellowship with God. This is a gift, a gift from God, which we don't earn or deserve. It's been bought by Jesus Christ in his death. It's received when we trust his word. No one earns or deserves it, and so no one can boast about earning or deserving it. Even God's chosen people, the Jews. For in the end, God is not just their God. Verse 29, or is the God of the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles, through that same faith. Now, uh, this does raise a question that Paul wants to address about God's consistency, about the continuity of his arrangements with humankind. Verse 31, he asks the question, do we then nullify the law by this faith? That is the law of God, the law God gave to his people through Moses. Is that somehow coming to nothing, worthless, contradicted by this faith? Well, this is a problem since God is faithful and true. And he doesn't change arrangements. He doesn't move goalposts. He doesn't undermine what he has previously said. And so it's important for Paul to demonstrate that what he's saying about justification, about relationship to God, is consistent with what God has already said in the law. That is the teaching of the Old Testament. And so to answer this question, Paul goes back to the beginning, to Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, for us Jews, discovered in this matter, this matter of faith or works of the law? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? This is how Paul's going to settle the question. And he quotes then, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now Abraham and his wife Sarah were the first Jews and they set therefore a fundamental pattern for what it means to have a living and right relationship with God. And so Paul wants to ask, what is this pattern? What was true for Abraham and Sarah? 
Paul points to a particular moment, a particular statement of Scripture. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This was our Old Testament reading, which you can see there, which gives us the context that God had spoken to Abraham in a vision and had given him some promises. He'd, he'd announced to him some blessings. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Look up at the star, sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Here is the Lord making promises of blessings which are not offered as a reward to, for anything Abraham had done, but offered as gifts to be believed in and hoped for. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And here, Abraham's relationship with God sprang to life. A door opened and God's gifts began to come through, beginning with being credited or reckoned as righteous, beginning with being forgiven at peace with God and acceptable to him. This was followed by the birth of Sarah's son Isaac later, which led then to his grandson Jacob and his, uh, Jacob's 12 sons, the whole nation of Israel, and all that followed. And Paul's main point is that this, none of this is a wage for work, but it is a gift received through an act of trust. As he says in verse 4, Now to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Paul points out that this gift, this gift of righteousness, this justification of the ungodly, in Abraham's case, happened before God gave Abraham the practice of circumcision, and hence the uncircumcised could be credited with righteousness upon the exercise of their faith. So, Paul says we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. Now this ties in exactly with a big controversy in Paul's day for his practice of accepting Gentile believers in Jesus without requiring them to be circumcised, that is, to kind of become Jews, this was controversial. And here he defends his stance on the grounds that Abraham was righteous and uncircumcised as a believer. He is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. He sets the pattern for them as well as for the Jews. So Paul is saying that circumcision is not the foundation of our relationship with God. And he points out also that obedience to the law 
didn't come into this either. Verse 13, it was not through the law. That is the law of Moses that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Indeed, says Paul, it would be a very bad thing if obedience to the law was required before righteousness could be given. Because, as he says pithily there, the law brings wrath. It's all that he has said in the previous chapters, that when God gives us his command, we in ourselves are completely unable to keep it. And so we suffer its penalty and do not receive its blessing. Law brings wrath. Therefore, says Paul, God didn't do it that way. The promise comes by faith. So that it, that is the fulfilment of the promise, the blessing of God, may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who have the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Through all this, Paul is making his case that the faith in Jesus that both Jews and Gentiles are called to exercise is completely consistent with the Jews' own scriptures, with the story of Abraham and Sarah and all that followed. Lastly, Paul points out that faith gives glory to God. God is, in verse 17, the God who gives life to the dead. Abraham believed this. He faced the fact, it says in verse 19, that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Faith gives glory to God because it gets God right. It understands who he is and treats him as God. Hence, it makes sense that God credits those who trust him as righteous. Lastly, Christian faith has the same character as Abraham's faith. Christian faith believes in the God who gives life to the dead. The words, it was credited to him, we read in verse 23, were not written for him, that is Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was given over to death, for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And this is a good moment to kind of segue, to move on from thinking about Abraham's faith to thinking about our faith. Because our faith in God is faith in God who gives life to the dead. This is the stuff of a living relationship with God. But it is not straightforward, is it? Because life from the dead is a challenging thing to trust in. And maybe you feel besieged by death. 
the death of your hopes, the death of a relationship, the death of the world that you had had and loved and lost, the death of someone you love, your own death. You feel besieged by death. Abraham felt besieged by death, the death of his family line, Genesis 15 too. But Abraham said to God's promise of blessing, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Long years of infertility had led to the question, Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Where can my life lead except into oblivion? There's a great mystery for Abraham in how God could do anything for or through a childless old couple. You have given me no children. Abraham had to live through this death and await a resurrection that seemed utterly impossible, except if God can indeed give life to the dead. Jesus himself also had to live through being delivered over to death on the way to being raised to life. And you and I, if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Abraham, in the footsteps of Jesus, we'll also have to live through being delivered over to death on the way to being raised to life. I don't need to tell you all that goes wrong in life. Yes, Life is strong and beautiful. Yes, there is joy. There is fulfilment. There is plenty to celebrate and be thankful for. And we can certainly give glory to God when we receive these things as his gifts, trusting him to continue to provide. But there comes also to all of us that puzzling and painful and frightening trip through the valley of the shadow of death. What does it mean that we enter the cold shadow of death? Does it mean that God is dead, that he is a lie or he is against us? We might ask such questions and struggle with such doubts and wonder how God can give the blessings that he talks to us about. But in the story of Abraham and Sarah and the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has given us a promise to hold on to. To put our hope in that God will bring life from the dead. That he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and out the other side. That God has a future for you and for me. Beyond sin and beyond death. That God can always do something for us. And will bring us to life in the end. And even do so along the way. Such living faith in God in the midst of many discouragements, this is the gift of God's spirit. You may notice that Abraham was strengthened in his faith. He received help. Such living faith in the midst of many discouragements is the gift of God's spirit for Abraham and for you and I too. It is itself God's gift of life to us that is poured into our hearts and we'll have more on this next week when we hit chapter five but right now 
Shall we pray for God's gift of faith, a living relationship to him, to live and grow in us? Let's pray. Now, Father, even as we live uh, lives that are certainly troubled at times and in deep ways by death, we pray that you would help us to trust in you, to put our hope and our faith in you, the God who gives life from the dead. Lord, give us your spirit that we might do this, and as we do it, open a door into our lives where we might know your blessings. We might know, first and foremost, a living relationship with you, where we are justified, we are made righteous, we are at peace with you, we are forgiven. And looking forward, Lord, to many more things, not least of which that we might share with Jesus in his resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.